Hi there, it's Kathleen here and welcome to The Gathering, bringing God into everyday life. Let me encourage you to not just listen, but partner with God and practice what He speaks to you. You can access more information about me, my newspaper articles, upcoming events, contact me or purchase my book, Thriving Through Seasons of Grief, on my website at www.kathleenmaxwellramby.com. This podcast is now in 28 countries and people have donated so that you can listen free. Will you consider paying it forward for someone else by giving a one-time or monthly gift? Simply click the button that says Become a Patron or Patronage at the top of the podcast. And don't forget to click the like or follow and you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Enjoy the podcast. So welcome to the, the Thriving Through Grief and the Holidays uh, seminar today. Um, thank you for joining me. I know that no one signs up for grief, and this is probably not exactly where you wanted to be, but my prayer for you is that that this is a time of healing for you. And I just want to give you permission. If you begin to shed tears, it's okay. It's okay. And those, those tears are healing. And... Um, and so I just want to give you that permission today. I do have, as we begin, I do have some books available. I do have plenty. So if anyone would like to purchase a book for yourself or for a friend or a loved one, you can um, wait around afterwards, and I'm happy to sign up for you if you want. For those that are live streaming and maybe listening via podcast, you can go to my website at www. KathleenMaxwellRamby.com, and you can purchase it there through Amazon, or you can get an autographed copy. So, I just want to want to say that, um, so that everybody knows. I also want to just say that I think you're such brave people. I know how hard it is to come out and to go to something like this. I know it's not the easiest thing that that you've ever done. And so I wanna acknowledge that because you are brave to show up. So many people stuff their pain, medicate their pain, pretend their pain doesn't exist. And just you being here is acknowledging, I've had a great loss and I wanna move move forward. People here have all had different kinds of losses. Some of you have emailed me, and I know a little bit. I just want to um, just acknowledge acknowledge your loss at this time. A little history about me. I'm a native of Kerrville, and I've been in ministry, social work, a business owner, an educator, a wife, a mother, um, a grandmother. I've been a widow. I'm a writer and a speaker. But most of all, I love people, and I love helping them. And I love helping them be all that God's called them to be and overcoming the difficulty of life. I do have in your packet, you do have some newspaper articles that are related to grief, related to transition. And those are for you to take home later and read through. I do have a podcast called The Gathering, and if you pick up one of my business cards, 
Um, the podcast is available at KathleenMaxwellRamby.podbean.com or on Apple Podcast. But I do have a number, Understanding and Releasing Heartbreak, uh, God's Promises in Times of Devastation. Goodness, there are a number, Encouragement for Widows. So there are a number of different podcasts that I think might appeal to you. So I want to make that known to you. And um, I also, for those of you that get the book, read it through once, but then I highly encourage you to read it through in process. When you read it first, you're going to be getting content, but I strongly suggest you take it because it was written. It was written after I first did a workshop on grief. And I wanted people to have a resource afterwards. I had a gentleman in Kerrville ask me, he said, will you lead a seminar on grief? And I said, well, I don't think so because nobody signs up for grief. Nobody's going to (laughs) come. And I was surprised that night at the number of people that did come. But as I left, my heart was heavy that night. And I felt like that God spoke to me as I was walking to the parking lot. And he said, I was working on another book. And he said, You've got your outline from what you just taught. He said, I want that to be your first book. And so I laid it down. Um, It was, it took a while to write. And then of course, COVID delayed things, but it is available for you. You know, um, grief and sudden change are just going to be a part of life here on earth. And like I said, it's not anything people sign up for. It often comes knocking at our door unannounced. We have no idea it's coming. However, what I have found is when embraced, it can be one of the best teachers and can shape us in many positive ways. And what we do in our times of grief can make a big difference in our lives, either positive or negative. And yet what I have found is many people don't really know how to deal with it. The thing that I discovered when I was widowed at 49 is people really didn't talk about grief. Now, that has been 12 years ago. I don't know how much things have changed since then, but people, by and large, and even people in the faith community, didn't really talk about grief. Some people are uncomfortable with it. They don't know what to say. Um, others, Others just kind of ignored the topic altogether. And I was one of these people that I knew, I knew I wasn't exempt from the grief process. Bad things happen to good people. And when I found myself in dealing with my mother's illness, which my mother, I dealt with a lot of anticipatory grief, which I'll go into, but she had a rare autoimmune disease. And I was her primary oversaw her caregiving for nine years. That, in a way, prepared me for what I went through with my late husband. But life just isn't fair. And for me, when I found and saw and was watching my sweet mama slowly slip away, cognitively as well as her body, drastically changing because of the rare autoimmune disease that she had, My one and constant prayer is, Lord, I don't want to waste this pain. I don't want to go through it for nothing. 
And so I want you to work things in me and I want you to work things out of me. And so I want to encourage you with that. I also want to encourage you that there's no right or wrong way to grieve. There really isn't. This is your journey. And for me, and I will share just about God and my life because it was a, it was a big part of my healing, but I'm not here to preach to anybody, but that is, it is just part of my story. But I, the goal today is for you to walk away with tools in your tool belt of life and learn what grief is, how it affects us, the challenges of grief, the benefits of grief, and how to partner with God in the process. And the goal is to unravel any lies that you may have believed. But most important today, I pray that there will be another layer of healing in your heart. And and I do pray that you'll practice some of the things that you've learned and learn how to thrive in your time of loss. When my late husband was sick and he battled cancer nine months to the day, a very rare cancer that two in a million get, when he was diagnosed, he looked at me and he said, I thought you said I was one in a million. (laughs) And uh, I said, well, you are. But one day he was taking a 10-hour chemo treatment and I needed a breath of fresh air. And so after about eight hours of sitting in there with him. I said, I'm going to go for a walk. And so I was walking around the block at MD Anderson. And as I walked, I just was, was talking to God. And I said, you know, God, I know you're good. And I know you love me, but I see Joe in a win, win situation. Either you heal him and we have this great testimony or you take him home and he's with you. And you know, that's a great thing, but I don't feel like I'm in a win-win situation. If you heal him, it's great. If you don't, you know, my life is, my life is, um, in ashes. And he was my childhood sweetheart. We started dating when I was a junior in high school. And so I could not imagine life without him. And as I was walking and just verbally processing my pain, um, I just felt like God said at that point, he said, I'll either heal Joe or I'll heal your broken heart. And somehow I knew that no matter what, I was going to come out of that and be okay, even though it was far beyond my comprehension. And we were praying so many prayers. We had people from all over the world really praying for him. But it was something that that um, was of comfort to me, and I want to pass that on to you, that God really does heal the brokenhearted. It doesn't mean that there still isn't grief as you journey through life. It doesn't mean that the day arrives and all of a sudden you never cry again. I can't tell you that because there's still times that even though life has gone on, I remarried nine years ago, um, I have a good life, but there's still times you know, especially when I'm with my grandkids and I just think, oh, he would love this or tears well up that it's, he's not there at a special event that with our, the three children that we had. So what is grief? Let's change the slide if you don't mind. What is grief? Grief is the process. And In your note-taking, I encourage you to write things down just because I think when we write it, it's another way of learning. You don't have to. This is your time. 
but I would just encourage you to do that. Grief is the process of letting go, saying goodbye to a person or a season in our lives. And moving on to what God has for us. I'm going to repeat it. Grief is the process of letting go, saying goodbye to a person or season in our lives, and moving on to what God has for us. It is there if you need to see it. And I was comforted in my early days of grief when I found in Psalm 23, verse 4, it said, says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I had heard that scripture a number of times. It was a common scripture. But what hit me one morning when I was reading that was that grief was not a destination. It was a journey that you go through. And so all of a sudden I had just a great comfort that it's in the heart of God that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to be afraid because the Lord is with us and that he's going to comfort us. You know, when my husband passed away, I had to just sit there one day and say, what, what do I know? What do I know? What are the foundations? Because my world had been shaken for sure. And all I could say that I knew was I knew several things. I knew that God loved me. I really didn't know that, even though this was, it was the worst I'd ever experienced. And I did know he was faithful. I had seen his faithfulness over and over in my life, even though things hadn't turned out the way I had prayed or the way I had hoped. But I didn't know he was faithful. That was evident. And I knew he was with me. And those were the things that I had to cling to in those days of grief. That, that was all I knew. The rest was too overwhelming. And so for me, one of the things that I began to say, because there was so much grief and heartache was, Lord, what do I need to let go of today? And I think as we looked, if we try to look too far down the road without our loved ones, it's overwhelming. If you think of all the, the rest of my life, this person's never going to be there, that can be overwhelming. And for me, if I tried to look back on everything, that was overwhelming too. But if I looked at just today, I could handle today. Okay, what do I have to do today? What do I need to do today? And Lord, what do I let go of today? And so that was as I would sit in my chair in the morning, drink my coffee. I would just say, Lord, show me what I need to let go of today. And every day was different. Every day was different. And there were some days... And I remember the morning, one morning I felt like the Lord said, 
you don't need to let go of anything today. Just be. Just be. And I thought, okay, wow. Okay. It's okay that I don't do that today. But my constant in the journey, I wanted, I could do it in bite size. And so I give you that prayer. That might be something you want to pray is what do I need to let go of today? So what is grief? There are different kinds of grief and anticipatory grief. Um, anticipatory grief means that we can see something coming. We're not really sure what. It's not just the loss of a person. I know with my children, as each one of them got to their senior year of high school, I was anticipating they were leaving the nest and life was going to really change. We raised our kids to be independent, self-sufficient. We wanted them to go on. But I'll tell you, I was the mama that sat in the, the bleachers watching my daughter cheerlead, watching my son play his last basketball game, watching, you know, the last golf tournament, lost in, you know, whatever it was. And there was, there was some, some sorrow and some letting go even in that with, um, my late husband, we married young. He, I was 19 and he was 22. And a year and a half after we were married, we had our first son. And we had this five-year plan, but it didn't work. How many of you ever can say my plans didn't work out the way I planned? So here we had our firstborn. Um, at, and and uh, we, we thought, okay, this wasn't, this wasn't exactly what we planned, but... You know, we were delighted to have him, and he's a big six-foot-four redhead, and so I've got two six-foot-four redheaded boys. But uh, we talked, my late husband and I talked often about the empty nest. We talked about what we were going to do. One day the kids were going to all be grown, and we were going to have a little bit of money, and we were going to travel, and we were going to do these things. So when he got sick, it was, our son was, uh, just started his freshman year of college, so we only had a few months of our empty nest, our second honeymoon, when it was interrupted with his illness. And so one of the things we grieved together was just the death of that dream. It was an anticipatory grief. Dream, uh, anticipatory grief. This isn't going to look like what we planned or what we thought. Our second honeymoon was stint going back and forth to Houston for his, his treatments, but we had some precious times and some beautiful conversations as we battled together. So sometimes you can grieve in anticipation. Maybe right now with the holidays approaching, you know, they're coming, you know it. You're already grieving a little bit because you know Thanksgiving's gonna be here and Christmas is gonna be here and New Year's is gonna be here. So sometimes we can grieve ahead of time. And with my mom, watching her slowly slip away. I remember one day talking to a lady who was a, a counselor that was one of my volunteers um, at the organization that I was executive director of. And she came in one day and she said, how are you doing? I said, I'm not doing good. I said, I don't think my heart can watch my mom. I've already watched her slowly slip away. I can't imagine what it's gonna be like when she actually leaves the earth. And my friend gave me a great piece of advice. She said, Kathleen, you've done a lot of grieving in these years. And when your mom comes, yes, you're going to cry. When the day comes that she's gone, you're going to cry. But she said, 
you're actually grieving in installments. And that made me feel so much better that I didn't have to start all over because I felt like I had been slowly letting go of her. You know, it was a letting go when all of a sudden I became the mother and she was a child. So grief can sometimes, you can deal with anticipatory grief. And then when the day actually arrives, it's not actually as bad as you thought. So I do want to encourage you with that. Grief is a process that when embraced can have a good work in us. And I want to encourage you to partner with God in the process. But when we don't deal with it, we can have emotional outburst. It can keep us stuck and lead to depression and anxiety. One of my first encounters with grief, I was young, I was in my 20s, and my grandfather died. I was very close to my grandparents. And in his death, you know, I was like, I was a busy mom, I was working and and all. But one day, um, I had kind of a day off. And I remember I was in the kitchen and I was just eating, eating, eating. And all of a sudden I stopped and I thought, why am I eating? I'm not even hungry. And I went and sat down in my living room and I began to just talk to God. And I said, Lord, what is this? And, And I just felt God say, he said, you're feeding your pain. And it dawned on me. I was not, I had not had time to process as a busy mom and, and, and somebody that was working full time, my grief with my grandfather. So that day I sat down and I wrote a letter. I wrote a letter to my grandfather and said goodbye. I told him all the things that I wanted to tell him and how I was going to miss him. And, but that was one of my first encounters with grief. And so that's why it's important that I think we process our grief. I want to encourage you too to not focus on the why. Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my loved one? Why now? The why question can keep you stuck. But it's what. The important thing to ask is what? If you focus on the why, it's going to keep you in a victim mentality. And I believe God has so much more for us. It says in John 10, 10 that Jesus has come so we can have life and life abundantly. And so with my mom, I really wrestled with the why question. My mom was 64 when she got sick. And all of a sudden, things began to change in her body. She was a little five foot two, fireball, always wore high heels, you know, dressed up, prayer warrior, led more kids to the Lord than anybody I know. And right when I stepped into full-time ministry was when she got sick. And I was like, excuse me, Lord, how? why? Why now? This is when I really need her the most. I need her prayer support. I need her. And I focused on the why question so much. And a dear friend that was a pastor of my parents, I was talking to him one day, giving him an update on mom. And I told him how I was struggling, you know, with, I didn't understand. And one of the things he said, he said, the big question, Kathleen, for you is, can you still trust God if you never get the answer to the why? And I said, 
I don't know. I'm going to have to get back with you on that. <laughs> I didn't want to tell him, you know, oh, yeah, I can do that because I needed to process that and I needed to take time. And so let me encourage you to not get focused on the why, but the what. God, what do you want to work in me and out of me? And I can tell you that when my husband, late husband, got sick, I never have asked why. I never have because I gained so much benefit in what I learned in walking with mom. And that's hard because we think if we could understand that it would fix things, that it would heal our hearts. And the why question just may not be answered here on earth. But can we live with that? Okay, might change the slide now. Types of grief and sudden change. We can grieve other than somebody dying. We can have a sudden change in our life, maybe losing a job suddenly. And then you're, you're sad that you lost that job or whatever. Grief can come in many different forms. There's the obvious when someone dies, a spouse, a parent, a child, grandparents, friends. This can be anticipated or not. But I will tell you, watching people I love suffer has been one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I know that sudden losses, and I did have a sudden loss when I lost a baby, and that was hard too because it was a suddenly. It all of a sudden happens. Um, I can tell you too, though, that watching my husband go from being strong, robust, handsome to battling through cancer and watching him slowly slip away was extremely difficult, as well as my mom. Another type of grief, you might even move to another place, a new location. I know we moved from Kerrville. We moved to right outside of Austin. And when we did, we left our friends. We left our church. We left our organizations that we did stuff with. And just, you know, people can grieve when they move to another place. We've already talked about kids leaving home. Um, a major change in our lives when I went from changing just the different jobs. I've been in social work and ministry for a number of years. And when I've changed different positions from being the executive director of Christian Women's Job Corps in Kerrville to um, I worked for another organization called BCFS. It was a global nonprofit that helps disadvantaged populations. And each time that I left, when I resigned from the Job Corps to take care of my parents, which I'm forever grateful that I did that, um, to when I, you know, moved, I had remarried and, you know, had a life here in Uvalde and, and still had stuff I was doing in Kerrville, um, leaving the organization that I was a part of and that I had invested so much of my life in was hard too. It can be the death of a dream. I have a good friend that said something to me recently, just a dream of a, you know, I shared about about my own death of a dream, but I had a friend that uh, was not able to have children, and she shared with me recently, she said, you know, I struggle right now because all of my friends are posting pictures of their grandkids on, on social media, and I, and I don't have any. And she had, you know, anticipated being able to engage with people, but that was a death of a dream for her. It can be losing a pet. You know, sometimes our pets can be our closest companions. And I know that my uh, 
Cocker Spaniel that I had. <laughs> this was funny. I was not a dog person, but two weeks after my husband was gone, um, and it was really my husband's dog, his Cocker, um, I was so lonely in my home. And I said, I looked at that dog and I said, Maggie, something else has to breathe in this house and you're nominated. So you're going to learn to be an indoor dog. And she did. It was funny because she had been an outdoor dog for so long. But when I lost her just a few years ago, it was very hard because she had been my companion during a lot of dark, dark days. And so that can be a loss. Maybe a friend of yours loses a pet. That's a grief. And you can maybe encourage them. Just um, another kind of... of, of um, Grief, maybe your marriage fell apart or divorce. People that go through a divorce, it's an ending of a season or the ending of a relationship. I had someone share with me just this week about how a relationship suddenly ended. Um, she didn't say why, but that misunderstanding that caused that friendship to fall apart was a big grief for this woman because she really did love her friend. So stages of grief. And if you will, oh, that right there, that's a picture of my daughter, and that was my mom uh, when she was battling her illness. But there are different stages of grief. And if you'll change the slide, please. There's the number one, and I know that there, you can break them down into a lot. For simplicity's sake, I'm going to break it down into three. There's the denial or the shock. We know the death or loss has happened but we really don't want to deal with it. Or it's not just time, and that's okay. Oftentimes what I've discovered is it's God's provision for us because our heart needs a little bit of time to adjust. So there's the denial and the shock. For me, I knew my husband had died. I knew life had changed. But the reality for me began to set in in about six weeks to two months that this was really going to be a long, long journey and a long time. So there's that denial, but I think that that is God's protection for our heart. There's the anger stage. And that's where there's the frustration, the blaming, the questioning, we can be mad at the world, mad at the person for leaving us, mad that the situation happened, mad that we have to deal with things that we've never had to deal with before. And I can only imagine for some of you that have emailed me and you've lost a loved one to COVID, just, just all the questions that might be there. But that anger stage is a time when we can really, when we can really process too. And then there's the acceptance and moving on. What are some of the, and we'll talk a little bit, a little bit more. Well, let me just touch a, a little bit on this. Um, in the anger stage, I remember one day, my late husband was an investment, um, he was an investment 
broker with USAA. And um, I remember one night I'd had to have this long conversation with them to try to figure out how to move forward. And there were all these things. And so I was having to deal with stuff that was very out of my realm of expertise. Being married 30 years, he did this, I did that. He dealt with this, I dealt with that. And we, that's how we functioned. And all of a sudden he was gone. And I was having to deal with things that were his expertise. And I spent two hours on the phone with this gentleman trying to walk through and he's asking me questions and I'm having to make decisions and everything. And I got off the phone. I don't think I had ever before or since done anything like this, but I was so angry when I got up the off the phone, there was a plate that was right there on the table and I picked it up and I threw it across the room. And as soon as it shattered, and then I realized I was going to have to, what I'd done, and I was going to have to pick it all up and clean it all up, I burst into tears. And I was like, what on earth is wrong with me? But it was the anger that was that I was hitting that spot. And, you know, anger can be, it can show us what we have inside of us that we need to work out of us. And I've always said in just other teachings I've done it is that anger can be a sign of usually two things, unforgiveness or fear. And usually when I do get angry about something, and I still get angry about, you know, whatever at different times, when I step back, and I say, okay, what is really going on? Do I need to forgive someone? Is there something I need to deal with in my heart? Or am I afraid? When I realize that, then I can figure out how to move forward. And in that instance, that night, when I threw the plate and it shattered, and I sat there and I was like, Lord, what do I need to deal with? And I felt like God said, you're mad at me. I yeah, I really am. I really am. I know you're perfect, but I'm mad that Joe is not here, that things didn't turn out the way I wanted. And for me, I had to, even though God's perfect, I needed to forgive God for taking my husband. He's God. He can, he's God. But for me, I needed to verbally say, okay, Lord, I, ch I choose to trust you. I choose as an act of my will to forgive you for taking my husband. So I pass that along. If you hit the anger stage, step back and see. Maybe the anger is because you're afraid. You're afraid, you know, of, of whatever it is. But let anger be a good thing that when it does show up and it's waving its flag to step back and look. I do have a podcast called The Power of Forgiveness 1 and The Power of Forgiveness 2 that might be helpful for some of you. Okay, feelings and behaviors of a grieving person. Let's change the slide. Please, oh, she'll, she'll get there in a minute. Okay, so some of the feelings and behaviors our sadness, sorrow, anger, guilt, confusion, forgetfulness. Things we can normally handle, we cannot.
thirst. Being thirsty all the time. You know, when I go through seasons of grief, when I'm grieving something, and there's there's things throughout our lives that we grieve, but one of the things it's like I have an I I consume so much more water because I'm thirsty. And actually there's scriptures in the Bible that talked about, I know there's one where David talked about in the Psalms, he talked about his bones feeling dry. His bones feeling dry. And, and he was pouring out his heart to the Lord. But that thirst is something. And not sleeping well. No appetite. These are normal feelings and behaviors when you're grieving. So let, when you see yourself with these, let these be a good thing to embrace those things and ask God again, what do I need to let go of? Grief can come behind you, can come up and hit you from behind. I think that's the thing that was just... um, one of the hardest things for me is I could be going along, having a great day. You know, as, as time went on, I could be not thinking about things um, or, you know, engaged in whatever was going on in life. And all of a sudden, a little something could happen. And I was a puddle of tears. I could be walking through the grocery store and I'd see, you know, something my late husband loved to eat that I wasn't buying anymore. I remember that happened one time and I just burst into tears right there in the store. And at first, when that began to happen, nobody, I, well, I can't say nobody, but I don't, don't really like to cry in public, but I got a lot more comfortable with it. Or maybe somebody made a comment or said something. And some days I could handle it and it was no big deal. But other days somebody could say something And tears would well up in my eyes. And usually people were more uncomfortable when that happened than I was. I got to where I would just look at them and say, you did nothing wrong. This is about my journey. And I've had a great loss. And so these tears are healing. And so I want to give you that. If you find yourself in public and the tears begin to roll for whatever reason, You can just look at the person you're talking to and just say, you did nothing wrong. I've had a great loss. And there was something about verbalizing those that gave me permission to cry. But it can hit, grief can be like a wave that can hit us from behind. And when that happens, it can make us feel like we're not making progress. I remember, and it was probably two, I don't know, I'd have to go back and look, two or three months before there wasn't a day when I didn't cry. I think I cried every day after losing him. And finally I hit, I got to the end of the day. It wasn't my goal to get through a day and not cry. But I got to the end of the day, I was going to bed, and I thought, I didn't cry all day long. And I thought, wow, okay, I'm making some good progress. And it might have been, you know, three or four days after that. And then I was a puddle of tears again. And I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm going backwards. I'm going backwards. But that wasn't the case. Grief just comes in waves. So those are just some of the feelings and behaviors that will hopefully make you feel more normal.
if you're having them. But don't, don't feel like if you make some progress and then it seems like you're going backwards, that when that wave hit, it's just like when it, a wave hits you at the ocean, it can pull you under. And, you know, especially if you're, you know, with times when I've been at the beach and that wave hits and I don't know it's coming and I go under the water, you know, and then I'm trying to gasp for breath. That's the best way I can describe it to you is that's the way it can can make you feel at times. But don't be discouraged in that. This is my family. And this was right before um, this was like just a. Uh, about three weeks before he was he was diagnosed, and uh, those are my three kids and my daughter-in-law. So challenges of grief, and if you could change the slide for me. Well, one of the challenges of grief is hmm, it can be exhausting. It can be exhausting. And so I want you to be patient with yourself and others. Be patient because it is exhausting. I'll be quite honest, it was probably two years before I really felt like myself again, energy-wise. Um, it was about two and a half, two, a little over two years that I could say, oh, wow, I recognize that girl. But it took two years for I really could say I feel like myself again, energy-wise, emotionally, um, on multiple levels. Takes a while. Um, I'm more of a get-it-done kind of girl, and grief is not something that you can just get it done. So give yourself grace and permission. Um, another challenge of grief that I have found is people will probably not understand you and they'll judge you. That was a big challenge for me. People didn't understand. Some of my friends didn't understand. There were times, especially if someone hasn't been through grief and they think you should be over it and they judge you, oh, that's like a double, a double stab in your heart. At least it was for mine. They can underestimate your emotions. They can make wrong assumptions um, about how you feel or how you're doing. And sometimes it can be people that can surprise us. I was kind of surprised by even some Christians and people in my circle that didn't understand. I felt judged. I should be further on down the road. I had been married for 30 years. We've been together 33. You don't get over that overnight. And here's my advice to you when you encounter those people. I hope you don't, but in case you do, you just forgive them. I remember a young girl coming up to me one day at church, and she said, you know it wasn't God's will that, that Joe died and I looked at her, and I had no words. I thought, if I open my mouth and say anything, it will not be pretty. <laughs> and I just looked at her because I thought, I am going to say nothing. And that's what I did. And as she walked away, it was like a dagger in my heart. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, here was my thought, young and dumb. <laughs> I mean, it really was. And 
As I walked away, I just said, Lord, I choose as an act of my will to forgive her. She's young. She hasn't experienced it. I can tell you now that woman has experienced a major loss, and she's a whole different person. Um, Another thing is when grief hits, and this is a challenge of grief, when grief hits, it can bring anxiety. Okay, it can make you anxious. It can make you afraid. I have a very strong um, friend who called me up one day, and she said, Kathleen, I do not know what's wrong with me. She said, all of a sudden, I am like fearful and anxious of everything. And she said, I know God set me free of that in, in the past, but right now I'm dealing with so much anxiety, and this isn't me. You know me. I said, you're right, I do know you, and that isn't you. But I said, I reminded her she had lost her mom a couple of months prior to that, and I I just encouraged her. I said, this is grief, and grief will make you feel anxious. Let me just pray for you right now for God's peace to come and settle over your heart, and let me encourage you to do that. And so... You know, we prayed, and she did, and she came back later, and she said, you're exactly right. I just needed to process more of my grief. And so if you find yourself anxious, fearful with that, with in your grief process, that's, that's part of grief. Um, people are going to say and do the wrong things, but extend grace to them and forgive them. Um, some of the crazy things I had people say, I remember after losing the baby that I lost, I remember people saying, oh, well, you're young. You can have another baby. I didn't want another baby. I missed the baby I had. And maybe some of you, you know, that have lost, I know some of you have lost your lost children. Um, you want the one that you had. You miss that person but people can say that. I had people say, you know, after I was widowed, well, you're young, you'll find another husband. I didn't want another one at that point. I wanted the one I, I had lost. And another thing is uh, a challenge of grief that I found was an inability to concentrate. An inability to concentrate. What happens is our heart is processing, even though our mind might be looking at the computer screen and trying to do our job, our heart and our emotions are really someplace else. And sometimes I would stop and think, now, where was I? What was I doing? You know, what was I supposed to be doing? And so it is harder to concentrate during grief. You're not losing your mind. Let me encourage you with that. It is harder to concentrate with grief. And so understand that Um, and let's see, I just want to encourage you that God does understand your grief. I want to give you a couple of scriptures and you can look these up, but he does understand your grief. It says in Isaiah 53, three and five, and these were comforting to me that God did understand where my heart was. He understands where your heart is. It says in Isaiah 53, it says he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrow and familiar with suffering. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow. 
And so that was a great encouragement that God understood my sorrow. He understood my heart. He was not up there looking and saying, well, why hasn't she gotten over it? He watched his son suffer. And so for me, it was encouraging to know that I was being understood. Sometimes you don't feel understood by people, but I knew I was understood by God. Psalm 6, 6 and 7 says, and this was very comforting. You might identify. says, I am worn out from groanings all night long, and I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. That was a real comfort to show me that God understood and, and that there were others in the Bible that had experienced great loss. I wasn't the first and wasn't going to be the last. And the, it also tells us in John verse 14, 18, 26, and 27 that the Holy Spirit is the great comforter. And there were times I just, you know, when my heart was so down, and I was so um, distraught at times. I would just say, Lord, I just need, I just need your Holy Spirit to come and comfort me as, as only your Holy Spirit can. So those might be some you want to explore. But what are some ways to say goodbye? Um, and that is, let's go to the next one, the next slide. Saying goodbye is like surgery. It takes time to heal. I've had some surgeries, different surgeries in my life. And, you know, the surgery might only be an hour, two hours. Had heel surgery, um, had a hysterectomy, tonsillectomy. As an adult, I've had some different surgeries. The procedure itself didn't take that long. But the healing process for me took longer every time than I anticipated. And so that's the way I think grief is. We can understand the suddenly and our loved one is gone. But that healing process takes time. So what are some ways we can say goodbye? Because we must say goodbye to the person or the season to move on. It does not mean, when you say goodbye, it doesn't mean you're saying goodbye to the memories. Those are things you treasure in your heart. I wish I had time to go around the room and ask you what's one of the memories you treasure in your heart about your loved one. I wish I had time so I could get to know you. Maybe I'll have time at some point or another to hear what you treasure. But we must say goodbye, and that can be a process. And here's something else important. Your loved one deserves to be honored with goodbyes. They deserve that. The more integrated your relationship is with the person that you lost, the longer those goodbyes are going to be. I have a dear friend whose mother and father lived out of state. She saw her parents once a year. My parents lived around the corner from me, up a half a mile. I saw them pretty much every day, and especially those last um, nine years of mom's life when I was overseeing her care, I saw them every day pretty much, or every other day. And so that process took longer for me 
or has taken longer in, in the goodbyes to my mom, although I did a lot of anticipatory grief, but a lot longer than my other friends whose mother loved her mother, but she, do you understand how she wasn't a part of that life as on a daily basis? So you have to factor different things like that in. You have to. And your loved one deserves to be honored. If we don't let go, we can stay stuck, sad, depressed. And God has more for each of us. Again, John 10, 10, he's come so we can have life and life to the full. Embracing the pain doesn't sound fun, but it is how we grow. And it is how we process. There is the obvious crying and pouring out your heart to the Lord. Allow yourself some time. For me, it was very helpful to, it was very helpful to, I get up early in the morning. I like to have a quiet time where I just sit a lot of times with my coffee. I feel like I just sit there and begin to think about the day. But for me, that's where I did a lot of my letting go and processed a lot of my grief. You've got to give yourself time. And I know that's hard, especially if you're working. But allow some time. Carve out time. Take time off. There were other times, I know with my mom, one of the best gifts ever, when my mom was, we were getting the news, her brain damage is irreversible and those sorts of things. I had uh, somebody that was on my board of directors come and said, Kathleen, you need a break. I was in the middle of a capital campaign. I was watching this with mother. I said, you're right, I do. I, I have a some time off in the summer. I need a break. And this man said, that was on my board, he said, do you want to go to the mountains or the beach? Because I want to send you someplace so you have time to process your grief. And I said, I'd like to go to the beach, and thank you so much. The best gift, because it gave me time, and I was all by myself. At that point, my husband was still alive. This was before he got sick. But I had time to process, so you may need to go to a friend's cabin or go someplace where you can get away or take, you know, time during the mornings. When I lost my husband, I had to work. I was working a full-time job. I had a child in college. I couldn't just take off all the time, but I had those times in the morning. And for me, it was a discipline to not be, you know, and that is one thing about grief is you have to have enough time to process. You have to have enough time to do life work, things, you know, that need to be done around the house and those kinds of things. But you also have to learn to have fun again. And so keeping all of those things in balance were hard for me. Some of the ways we can say goodbye um, is journaling or letter writing. Depending on the loss, and I've done a little bit of all of these different different times, different seasons. When I lost the baby that I lost, one day I sat down and began to write a letter to that little girl about what I dreamed, you know, while I carried her, what the dreams were, but I said goodbye in that letter. Didn't show it to anybody. I wrote a letter to my grandfather. I didn't give it to anybody. It was more of a way of me processing my grief in letting go.
I remember not too long ago, I have two children that live in Houston, and they have grandkids. And I was on the way down for the birth of my first grandchild. And I remember just tears streaming down my face because I was going. I was certainly excited to go and be a part of the birth. My daughter had asked me to be in the room with her and her husband. But I, the tears just streamed, and I had to just verbally let go of the dream that I had of this was going to be something Joe and I shared together. And so verbally, you may not write a letter. I obviously couldn't do that um, at that point in time, but I just I talked to him like he was there. And so I was processing that. But I chose to say goodbye and let go of that dream that day. Honor your emotions is the, is the important. We can't live in them, but we do need to honor them. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Another way to say goodbye is choosing to forgive. You know, I've had to forgive my late husband. He died of a very rare um, skin cancer that's in the third endocrine layer of, of his. He was, he was olive-complected. And back when we were kids, nobody wore sunscreen. You know, we wore baby oil and iodine if you're that old. <laughs> you know, nobody wore sunscreen. And he would work out in the yard and, and um, you know, had this, this, this great tan most of the time. And I really had to forgive him for not, because there were times I said, you need to put, you know, as our kids grew up and we had two redheads, we obviously by that time there were sunscreen. It's like, you need to wear sunscreen. And, you know, I, one day it hit me, I, I was angry. And I thought, I'm going to have to forgive him for not listening to me. You know, maybe your loved one didn't listen to you about something. And you're dealing, you're dealing with some of that. And so for me, one of the, the important things about forgiveness is we can choose as an act of our will to forgive, and we can ask God to change our heart. And when I understood the difference in that, that I God, I choose as an act of my will to forgive Joe for not wearing sunscreen, but I ask you to change my heart and to heal my heart. And, you know, one of the best prayers that I prayed so much during grief is, Lord, this still hurts. Heal my heart. Short, sweet, not long, eloquent prayer. You don't have to pray that. Sometimes I would just put my hand over my heart and say, Jesus, fix it. And that was a way of letting go, in a sense, acknowledging the pain, but crying out to the Lord to, to um, help in those things. Important things to know about grief. If we can change that slide. It's a process and cannot be rushed. It's a process and cannot be rushed. Another important thing, honor the pain, but don't live in it. I think that there's way too many people that idolize the grave. And God has more for us. We can honor that pain, but we don't have to live in it. The next thing that is important to know about grief is the greater the love and relationship and investment in your life, the longer the process can take. 
the greater the love and the relationship and investment in your life, the longer the process can take. I've had different widows. My late husband and I had a very integrated life. We did a lot of things together, a lot of things together. And I've had other widows come that to me as I've ministered throughout the 12 years um, down the road that, you know, have said my relationship was different from my husband. We, you know, and they would explain how it was. Uh, and so that can, you know, that can affect, too, the grieving process, too. The most important thing, I think, with grief is to keep moving through it. Keep moving through it. And that was another one of my constant prayers is, Lord, keep me moving through the grief. I don't want to get stuck. I know you have more for me. And I can tell you now, down the road, God has had a whole lot more for me. And one of the greatest losses and greatest heartaches in my life has been actually a stepping stone in a lot of ways in my life. If we don't deal initially with the grief, it will resurface later. One of my kids, uh, my youngest, his dad died um, when he was a sophomore in college. And I remember thinking, he is just stepping into manhood. His dad is gone. I'm not a dad. I'm a mom. But... Uh, this ball could roll a bunch of ways. I thought, I have got to be prepared for him to drop out. I've got to be prepared for, what if he turns to drugs? I've got to be prepared for whatever, in a way. And then I also had to be one day, I just felt like God said, he may not process this for years. And you've got to be okay with that. Although I was dealing with it every, it seemed like every day, because I was sitting in a lonely, I was sitting in a house all by myself with a cocker spaniel, um, I had a lot of time to deal with my loss. But he did not. He was in the engineering school. He was becoming a petroleum engineer. And so for him, he sank everything into, I'm going to make my dad proud, even though he's not here. I'm going to get this done in four years because there wasn't a lot of money. And he sank everything into that and he got out of school, and he got a job. And one night he called me, and he said, it was late. I was already in bed and half asleep. He said, Mom, can you talk? I said, sure, honey, what's, what's going on? He said, uh, do you think I've grieved losing Dad? And I said, no, I really don't think you have, honey, because you just haven't had the time. You were having to focus on your studies, and then you're, you know, a man, and you're dealing with a job, and, you know, on your own, and, and we began to talk about that, and it wasn't until about five years down the road that he began to process some of his grief, and so um, it, he didn't deal with it initially. In some ways, he couldn't. A lot of ways, he couldn't, um, but it did come back up, and he did begin to process that. All right, this is something that's real important and important things to know about grief. Our feelings, your feelings, my feelings, can lie to us. 
your feelings can lie to us. And I say that because um, our feelings can. Ask any woman, okay, there's a number of women here, not all are women, but you know how during that time of the month, one week everything is a federal case and then the next week it's not? Okay, our hormones, our emotions, our feelings, that week are a little out of whack and they can lie to us and the next week we're like, oh, well, that's no big deal, I can handle that. And it's that same way in grief. And what I mean for me, I felt like my life was over. I was 49 when I was widowed. I felt like my life was over. Life as I knew it was over. That was the truth and the reality. There were many days I had to, and this is important, wrestle with my feelings. Wrestle with your feelings. And part of grief is wrestling with your feelings to come out on the other side. And what I mean for me, I would wake up in the morning. I was still dealing with my mom and her illness. My husband was gone. Six weeks after my husband was gone, my dad was in intensive care. And part of my story was losing the three most significant people in my life in a very short amount of time. So it was a lot of compounded grief, you know, from one right after the other. But I would lay in bed in the morning, the alarm would go off, and I would think, I've got to get up, I've got to go to work. I don't want to. I feel like my life is over. Now, cognitively, I knew I had a lot to live for. I knew that I was still young. My life wasn't all the way over, but it felt like it. I knew I still had, you know, other, I had three kids. I knew I had grandkids to look forward to. Cognitively, I knew that, but I felt like my life was over. And I had to wrestle with those feelings. And some days that looked like me getting up and I would walk into work and I would tell my assistant, I feel like my life is over today. So I need for you to put in front of me what's most important so I can deal with it. Because I might be here five minutes, I might be here 50 minutes, or I might be here five hours. Usually when I would wrestle with those feelings, get up and just get to the next, you know, do what was next, I would usually stay at work a lot longer than I had anticipated. There were many days I went in and thought, I just can't, I don't think I can be here eight hours. And But your feelings can lie to you. Wrestle with those feelings. Ask God to reveal truth to you. Now, this was one of my prayers, is, Lord, reveal truth where my feelings are lying to me. Reveal truth where my feelings are lying to me. And God has been faithful to do that. You know, there's still times that we can have feelings. And I still, one of my, one of my things that I pray to this day is, Lord, reveal truth to me in this situation. Sometimes, <laughs> and I have mar married a guy here from, uh, from Uvalde and we have a good life. I've learned to hunt. I've learned to fish. I've learned so many different things. But anyway, um, his occupation in his world, he has a business that has to do with the oil field and, one day he was telling me all these stories and things, and I just, something in my heart was like, something's not adding up. 
something's not adding up. I don't know that much about his occupation, but something's not adding up. And I looked at him and I said, something's not adding up, but I'm going to pray that God reveal truth. And he said, okay, you, you know, you go ahead. And he went on about his day. Well, three or four days later, he came back to me and he said, you know that prayer about God revealing truth? I need you to stop because I found out this person stealing from me. I found out this happened and this happened. He said, I can't handle any more truth right now. <laughs> and so that was kind of funny. That was kind of funny. But if there's ever a situation and you're like, mm, something's not adding up here, I give you that prayer. Ask God to reveal truth to you. Um, okay, so important things to know about grief. Don't be disillusioned when you're not making progress and a new wave hits. It's just part of the healing. Don't be disillusioned when a new wave hits, and they will hit. The next thing is the beauty of grief, and there is beauty in grief. It can work things in us and out of us. The next thing that is important to know about grief is it's a time of transition in your life. I do have a podcast about transition because there was a lot I learned in the transition that I was going through during grief. And transition is just like childbirth. You know, you go, transition is that last stage before you give birth and you are birthing something new. You are birthing a new life without your loved one. It may not be what you anticipated, But there is a new life that's there. And I know for me that transition time in childbirth was not fun for me um, at all because I went from 4 to 10 centimeters in about 30 minutes. And by the time I did that, I was exhausted. I labored long with all of my kids. But that transition time, I remember my husband saying, you're almost at the end. We're at transition. You're about to give birth. Don't quit. And I just looked at him and I was like, you know, you're crazy. (laughs) I was in transition and there wasn't as much oxygen to my brain. I can tell you that at that time. But you are in a big transition in your life. Give yourself grace. And here's something very important. If you don't write any of this down, you, not others, are responsible for your healing. You, not others, are responsible for your healing. And what I mean is you're going to have to be proactive. So many times, and I did this, I was guilty. I looked to my friends to help me and heal me. I would get my feelings hurt if they didn't call. I would look to, you know, people in the church. I would look to, and one day the Lord said, you and you alone are responsible. This is about your journey with me. And so it shifted that. In the number of years where I've, I've ministered to a number of different people, I've seen a lot of parents um, look to their kids, you know, when they have a loss. They're um, widowed, you know, in, in their elder years, look to their kids to bring that healing, and they can't. You know, when you lose a mate, when you lose someone near and dear, 
nobody is really going to be able to heal you but God. But partner, that's why I'm real big on partner with God in the process. Another important thing about grief is that anniversaries can often trigger grief, either consciously or unconsciously. Anniversaries can trigger. And it may be not just the, you know, if you were married and your anniversary comes up, but the birthday or whatever. I know years down the road, in the month of August, one I, for about a week, I was just sad. And I could not put my finger on it. I couldn't put my finger on what was wrong with me. And I remember praying, and I said, Lord, I just feel down and sad, and I can't really think of anything I have to be sad about. What is going on? And a few hours after I prayed about that, a young girl walked into my office, and she was the same age as the baby. She, if my daughter would have made it, the same age. And what hit me was it was the time of year when I lost that baby. Now that was years down the road, like 15 years, 16 years down the road when that happened. But when I realized it, I thought, ah, okay. It was an anniversary of something that changed, that changed in my life. Another important thing to know, and so be, be prepared about anniversaries. Be prepared, because consciously or unconsciously, they are important, and it's a time, too, that we can just let go a little bit more. Another important thing about grief is put off making major decisions. I want to encourage you not to make major decisions out of your grief. Give yourself at least a year to avoid making hasty decisions. You know, I look back and there was a part of me that after Joe was gone, I wanted to get rid of all his clothes. I wanted to get that closet cleaned out. And you know... On down the road, I was really sorry I did that so hastily in some ways. I thought I, I, I thought if I could get them out, then I wouldn't be reminded. But um, don't make hasty decisions during your time of grief because your thinking can be a little bit clouded. And, you know, you may, again, feel like your life is over and you have nothing to live for. And this is somewhat normal. Your sense of purpose will return. And that may look totally different depending on your loss. Okay, on to the next slide. What are some of the benefits of grief? Well, grief can teach us much about ourselves and others. Grief has been one of my best teachers. I learned a lot about myself. A lot about myself. But it can teach us a lot about ourselves and others. Also, another thing I learned 
being widowed was how to stand on my own two feet by myself. And I learned to laugh at myself. Don't take yourself so seriously. You know, some of the things I did in that season, I just had to laugh. You know, I I learned to laugh at myself even in the midst of the sorrow. And I learned to not take life quite so serious. Another benefit I found in grief is I developed a compassion in my heart and it softened me. It softened me. I ran into a woman a couple of years later um, after I had, had lost my husband, and I don't know, it was two or three years later, and we started having a conversation. And we hadn't really had a good conversation in a while, and she looked at me and she stopped in the middle of that, and she said, you've changed. I said, I have? And she said, yeah. She said, you're softer. And that's that's true. Grief has given me a compassion um, in a way that I didn't have before. Another benefit of grief is it's a time of new beginnings and new life. And I want to encourage you to do some different things than you've done before. Do some different things. It's a time of new beginning and new life. One of the things, I had a couple actually went to my church and they were big swing dancers and they would go to San Antonio every Monday night and do some swing dance classes and all, and they said, why don't you come with us? And I said, yeah, I'd never really danced with anybody else other than my husband. I said, I don't want to go. I don't have a partner. And they said, oh, no, it's one of these places where you rotate around and different partners, and I thought I was absolutely going to die the first time another man put his hand on my waist, and, you know, I got ready to do the stance, but I did. I thought I've got to do some new and different things. i got to create some new memories that don't have to do with my old life. And I really learned a lot about men. I learned real quick what I liked, what I didn't like. And that's a whole different different story. But it's a time of new beginnings. And I encourage you to do some different things than you've done before. Another benefit of grief, I got to know God better as I partnered with Him. It's time of real spiritual growth for me. And I have a confidence now that I did not have before. It helped me, believe it or not. When you've had to look death in the face, when you've had to watch maybe your loved one die, when you've had to journey through that, it can give you a confidence that you don't have before. And I know this may sound um, strange to you, but whenever I would face something that seemed so daunting or fearful, I remember the first time I went out on a date, I just thought, oh my gosh, I can't do this. This is crazy. What on earth am I thinking? This was so scary. You know, the world had changed so much. And and then I stopped for a minute and I thought, is this as bad as watching tumors grow on someone I love, which is what I had to do with my late husband? And I thought, I lived through that. I can, I can handle this. <laughs> and just this past week, I ended up, I got a call from a friend, just how that confidence, how when you look death in the face and you come through on the other side, it can give you a confidence. This week, I got a call on Thursday afternoon, a friend, she said, our, our pastor that was going to marry our daughter can't do it. 
will you do it for us? And I said, well, I've never done a wedding. And she said, um, I think, you know, I just read one of your articles in the paper about marriage. I think you can do it. Would you be willing to do it? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Let me, let me get to work on it. That was Thursday afternoon. And then she, when I called her back and I said, yes, she said, well, thank, thank you so much for doing this. Cause we got 650 people coming to this wedding. <laughs> And I'd already said yes. I couldn't back out at that point. And as I kind of gasped for breath for a minute, I thought, you know what? I've handled worse things than this. And Lord, you've been faithful and you've always been with me. And I thought, no, Lord, I'm trusting that you're going to, to work this out. And so it's given me a confidence that I didn't have before. And I can tell you when I stood up there to do it, I really wasn't nervous because I've learned to walk with God in the hard places. And so that's my prayer for you, is that as you partner with him, a new confidence will come into your life. And, um, you know, it's a time of learning new things. It can be a time of self-discovery. For me, when I was widowed, it was the first time in my life I was not organizing myself and my life around my kids, my husband. I could do whatever I wanted. That was a novel idea. <laughs> you know, it was something I had never really experienced. And um, th this is a picture of my husband now and just some of my life out in a ranch out in Alpine. Um, but there are many things that grief can teach us. And here's the, here's the truth. As long as you're breathing, you can start over again. And so even though your life may feel like it's in ashes, as long as you're breathing, you can start over again. And I also want to just tell you, you're stronger than you think you are. You really are stronger than you think you are. And you have a God-given right to overcome in your heartache. I have a podcast about being an overcomer and just what God showed me that I had a God-given right to overcome. And overcome means to get the better of the situation. Again, life forever changed. Normal as I knew it was gone. But that none of that erased God's faithfulness and that we have a God-given right to overcome. I believe everyone in here is here because you've lost someone. Um, I do have a section that I normally put in, but for time's sake, I'm not going to today about what helps and what does not, but it is in my book. I want to go on to keys of thriving through grief. And some of the keys that I learned that were important, and that, yeah, switch the, switch that. Um, those were some of my friends. Uh, what helps and what does not. I'm going to switch that, so we'll just go on to the next one. But keys to thriving through grief that I found were letting go, to keep letting go daily, weekly, monthly. Sometimes I'd say, Lord, what do I need to let go of this month? The next key that is important is be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. 
one day I was real frustrated and I felt like God said, he said, you're more patient with other people than you are yourself. I was like, oh, okay. He said, be kind to yourself, Kathleen, because I was, I was trying to push myself too much. Another key to thriving is let the tears roll. You don't have to hold them in. Another important key is ask God to reveal truth to you. Anywhere your feelings have lied to you. Another key that I found because your concentration is off, you're not as you're not as mentally uh, sharp as normal is a spiral notebook. A little 59 cent spiral notebook became my best friend. I wrote everything down in that, like who I dealt with when I had to, you know, deal with, with this, who I dealt with when I had to deal with that. Because my concentration, I wrote everything in that spiral. At first I started writing it on sticky notes and I would lose them. So I started writing everything in one notebook and I knew as long as I had that little yellow notebook, I was... I knew where to find whatever it was I needed, whatever it was that I needed. But that notebook, you're more forgetful during grief. That way I had phone numbers. I had who I talked to. I had if I needed to follow up or whatever. Um, And the other thing is understand that people will move on in their life, but your heart still may be hurting. In a lot of ways... That second year for me was harder than the first. And you may be sitting there thinking, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Don't tell me that. But I'm telling you that so that you're not sideswiped. Because what happens is, yes, you may be moving down the road in your grief, but other people forget. And they think, especially if they've never been through it, well, after a year, you should be over it. You should be over it. If you lost your child or you've had a year to grieve, and that's just not true. That's just, it's just not true. But um, understand that people will move on. And I, I had a widow come in and tell me that. I was ending the, my first year, and she said, now the second year can be harder. And I thought, <laughs> this is my thought, oh, I rebuke that. You know, <laughs> No, I don't receive those words. But in some ways, you know what, it really helped me to feel like I wasn't losing my mind that second year because in some ways it was because people move on and people don't ask you and they don't talk about it. But your heart can still be in such a place. By the way, don't feel like you have to write all these down. I have put those in the next page of your notes. Write them down if you want to. But And then another key to thriving through grief is that balance is a big key. Keeping a balance in life. Keeping a balance in life. You have to let go and grieve. A lot of you have to work. You have to do just life work. Deal with death certificates, investments, life adjustments, bills. um, You know, going through your loved one's things. But you also have to do something that's a deposit in your bank. 
And for different personalities, for different people, a deposit in your bank could, and your emotional bank is what I'm talking about, is important. So whatever is something that makes you happy, like for me, I love to go to lunch with a friend and just, you know, chat about something. That's a deposit in my bank. I have a good friend, and a deposit in her bank is a good book and sitting by herself and not having anybody bother her. Well, that's just not my go-to. You So find what is something, but you have to have a real balance. You don't need to grieve all the time. You don't need to work all the time. You can only handle so much. It took me years to go through a lot of the things that I needed to go through with losing my husband. Balance is a big key. And keep a balanced diet, exercise, and rest. Keeping a balance there. Another key was one day at a time. We talked about that. To look back was too much. To look forward at life without my husband or life without my mother or life without my dad was too much. But if I looked at one day at a time, it wasn't as overwhelming. And then here was another big key for me. I had to ask God to adjust my thinking to help me reframe things and to see things from his perspective. You know, and one of the things I remember in my dark days of grief, I said, Lord, I feel like my life is over. I know it's not. I need you to adjust my thinking. Help me to see my life as you see it. And one of the things I felt like God said to me is he said, there's a lot of adventure ahead for you, Kathleen. And so adventure became my new word. And whatever it was that seemed daunting, as I looked at it as an adventure with God, it wasn't as overwhelming. But an adventure, you think about a movie. Well, it's not a good adventure unless something happens, you know, like Indiana Jones. You know, you think about him. He's he's going along. He's having fun. All of a sudden, there's a crisis but then we see him move through the movie, you know, and it's an adventure. And when I looked at my life as an adventure with God, it helped take the scary away. It helped take it away. But ask God to readjust your thinking and be willing to try new things. Be willing to try new things. One of the things that I hung on to in the dark days of grief was, and, and this is what you can write in your notes, is hang on to hope in the dark days. And when I would look at it and say, Lord, you talk a lot about hope, and so I'm hanging on, and I would realize this is only a season. It's a season in your life. And where you find yourself now, and I wish I could fix it all, I really wish I could. I wish I could give you all a big hug and I wish I could fix it. But I know that God is faithful and I know he's with you and I know he's going to work things in you and out of you. And and see things as an adventure. And step out and make plans with people. Initiate conversation. That is so important because it's real easy to sit there and feel sorry for ourselves and want people to call us. 
People are busy with their life. They don't remember where your heart always is. And when you do get somebody that does, it's a real gift. Consider it a gift when they do. But their lives move on, just like all of us can get busy. All of us can get busy. But sometimes I had to step out and make new plans and had to call people. And um, I want to talk a little bit about grief in the holidays right now. And there's not a section in your notes for this. Um, so you may want to just flip over on another page. But with the holidays, as they approach, I know this can be a tender time. And again, I want to thank you for coming because it shows how brave you are. The holidays are difficult because there's so many memories attached to them. That's why they're so difficult. That's what I learned, is they're difficult because there's so many memories. You have so many memories. I know, um, you know, my Christmas tree, we have an ornament for every year of every, we had a new ornament every year. And I know just even, even as I put those, that tree up now at our home, I haven't done it yet. But every, I can tell you it doesn't sting as much. The last years haven't. I've made other memories, but each one holds a memory. When I pick up that ornament and think, oh yeah, that was our trip to Lajitas. Oh yeah, that was our trip to Disney World with the kids. Oh yeah, that was, you know, whatever it is. The holidays can be difficult because there's so many memories attached to them. And another reason the holidays are difficult is because we just don't feel like celebrating. We just don't. I didn't, at least. I didn't feel like celebrating because I was dealing with so much sorrow and loss. And holidays are exhausting anyway. They are exhausting on a great, when your life is rocking and rolling. But they are even more exhausting when you're grieving. Another reason I found that holidays are challenging, and I'm saying all this because you need to give yourself grace in the days ahead. I'm going to give you tips, but I'm saying this just because I want you to be, it helps, it helps in understanding, I think. It seems like everybody else in the world is happy and rejoicing, but us. And that's hard because you look around and, you know, I would see families and think, okay, my family looks different now. Um, you know, or I'd see an older couple walking and the first, you know, I'd think my parents aren't here, you know. And even I showed a picture of an alpine. The first year that I was out there with Stephen and I kind of had to make a choice and my kids, my new husband, um, and I was out there with him. It was hard because it was the first holiday without my kids and my parents. And that was just tough, you know. And I was happy about my new life. I wanted, I had to see it as an adventure. And, you know, I got out there and was looking at the beauty of Alpine. And it really allowed, we didn't have cell service. So it made me really have to get quiet. And for me, it was a lot of processing of my losing my father. 
And my dad loved West Texas. And as a little girl, he would throw us in the car and he'd make us go out there. And he would just talk about how pretty it was. And I would sit there and just be bored to tears. But all of a sudden, that place, you know, was a good, a good place. And I still, I look forward to going out there because um, it, it's like I feel close to my dad in a different way. But everybody else in their world can be moving forward and we just don't feel like it. Another reason I think that holidays are hard is we just feel vulnerable. We just feel a little vulnerable because we don't really know how grief would show up or when it'll show up or if it'll knock us over or whatever. And, you know, I remember when my husband passed away, he died on October the 8th. And um, so the holidays were coming up pretty quick. And what I found is, as I talked to my children, they didn't really want to come home because home reminded them of their grief and the dad wasn't there. And that was hard for me as a mom because I had spent my life making home a good, safe, fun place. So we had to do some things different that, that those first few years. And different's not wrong, it's just different. And so I want to encourage you, you may have to, you may have to do some things different, especially the first few years. Do something you haven't done before. Maybe celebrate in a different way. Um, it might give your heart a little bit more of a chance to heal in that place. But, you know, for me, my kids didn't... Christmas was always a time of fun and at our house, and we did it. And But that first year, we packed up, and... Um, we went someplace else. We went to Cabo, and we celebrated in a whole, a whole different way. But it was hard that my children didn't want to come home, and so I had to adjust my heart. But it gave it time to heal, and it allowed us to create new memories. So you may need to do something like that. Do something new. Do something new. Um, but do something on the holidays to honor your loved one. It may be something private that you do by yourself. It may be something you do, you know, with your family. You know, say, okay, it's Thanksgiving, and we're going to all share one of our most favorite memories with Dad. Or, you know, for those of you that have lost children, you know, we're all going to share what we loved about, you know, your brother or whatever. But you might do something. It may be that you honor and just spend some time journaling and telling your loved one how much you miss them that day. There are many different ways you can honor your loss. But give yourself permission to cry. You may want to excuse yourself and go outside so you can have a minute to cry by yourself. Or maybe go to the bathroom so you can cry. But also let others comfort you. Let others comfort you. And I think there's something so simple and it was so liberating for me when the tears would well up. And I would just say to whomever was there, I just need to cry. You didn't do anything. 
but it's heartbreaking that Joe isn't here. Or it's heartbreaking that your dad isn't here to see this. So give yourself permission to cry because those tears are healing to your heart. And I wish so much, I wish so much that I could take that away in some way for you, but I can't. But God can, and he is with you. But it's okay to say, it's all right, I just need a moment. I just need a moment. And allow yourself a little private time, maybe the morning. You might want to get up early on the holiday, whatever it is, whether it's Easter, Fourth of July, whatever was a special holiday in your in your life, to give yourself some time to process. If you don't have plans for the holidays, make some. I remember my first New Year's Eve. Um, I kind of waited around. And nobody called me. You know, a lot of things were coupled in my world. All my friends were married. Nobody called me to do anything. And I had to make my own plans. I had to call a single girlfriend, somebody that was single, and say, hey, how about let's do something? So sometimes you have to initiate. But get yourself a plan because it helps take some of the uneasiness away. For me, those were kind of last-minute plans because I kept waiting, thinking somebody's going to invite me. But the people we normally spent New Year's Eve with, we went dancing, and that year I didn't have a partner. So make your own plan. It will, it will help you through that holiday. And just knowing you have a plan is easier. And be grateful. You know, I think that giving thanks, with us approaching Thanksgiving, being thankful is one of the things, look for things you do have to be thankful for because I firmly believe that overcoming any problem begins with a grateful heart. And that first year that I was out in West Texas without my family, my kids and my parents, you know, I just began to thank God that morning for the years I'd spent, for all the happy memories that I had. I began to think him that, you know, I did have a new husband. I did have a new life. I was in a new place. I, I could thank him that I felt kind of close to dad because I was out in West Texas. And, and I thought of, oh, yeah, over and over, I'd think, oh, I wish he were here. Oh, I wish I could have shared this with my father. Um, there were all of those things. But being grateful, being grateful and finding what you can be grateful for can really help you. I started a little journal, and during my dark days of grief, I kept it right there where my, in my bathroom where I you know, kept my toothpaste and all of that so that every night, because I was in such a deep, dark place, I couldn't think of anything good in my life sometimes. So I started keeping this little Thanksgiving journal where I would write down every day, something I could be thankful for. And I remember through confessions, I'd had such a hard day that day. And I remember writing down all I could think of to be grateful for was, and I wrote this, I literally wrote this down. Thank you, God, for running water. I wouldn't have been a good pioneer girl. You know, 
I wouldn't have been a good in the pioneer days. <laughs> All I could thank God for was that I did have a faucet. I didn't have to go brush my teeth in the creek, you know. <laughs> I mean, that may sound funny, but then after I wrote it, I, I kind of laughed. I did because that's all I could think of that day to be grateful for. So Thanksgiving really is your friend. And God has so many promises for us in our grief. He really, really does. And in the book, I have a lot of different scriptures. I did write some of them down in your notes, but just a couple that are good. You know, God promises in 2 Corinthians that his grace is sufficient for us and that his power is made perfect in our weakness. God worked so many things in me and out of me. Psalm 149 verse 9 says he sustains the fatherless and the widow. I clung to that because sustain means keeps us up, keeps us going. And Psalm 147 verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. As I dismiss you, I want to just pray for you right now. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. I thank you for each heart that's here. And Father, you see you see the places, Lord, that are cracked, that are broken. And I ask that the comfort of your Holy Spirit be ever so present. Let them see how real you are in the days ahead. And I ask for your grace to just be poured out upon each one listening in the days ahead with the holidays. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to be our great comforter. And thank you that you do bind up our broken hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.